So, Giraffe, um, maybe you're wondering why I've asked you here to have this little chat. Aww. Well, the thing is, you're what we call genetically superfluous. We can't breed you to other giraffes without causing inbreeding, and you're taking up space we need for a different giraffe. <coughs> let me finish, let me finish. Meanwhile, we also have lions, and the lions like to eat, and, you know, you're not that different from the stuff we feed the lions all the time. It's it's all meat. Most of the time, I don't sit down for a conversation with the meat beforehand, so consider this special treatment. I hear you. I completely hear you, but that's a sentimental position. I believe in science and rationalism, and from a purely rational perspective, there's really no reason not to kill you and feed you to the lions. Plus, the kids could watch it. It could be an educational experience. I was just messing with you. We're sending you to a private zoo in Chechnya. Oh, man, you know you're having a bad week when Friday comes and you're saying, oh, boy, I get to live in Chechnya, am I right? Today on The Nose, we'll be talking about contemporary clashes between atheists and people of faith and about why we love the athletes we love. And now he's been on Amazon all morning picking out a gift for Derek Jeter, Colin McEnroe. Well, that's another thing, and we'll be getting to this a little bit later on. But now it has now become a fashion. Derek Jeter of the Yankees has announced that he's retiring. He's announced it a se- before the season so that he can go all over, uh, like his, his colleague, Mariano Rivera, go to all the stadiums this coming year, and they have these ceremonies, and then you get gifts, and all the teams buy things for you and make things for you and stuff like that. So it's a lot of shopping to do when these guys uh, retire. But we will come to some version of that as we go along here. First of all, let me tell you who's here uh, from uh, Trinity College, Professor Irene Papoulos from the Mark Twain House, Jacques Lamar, and from Patty McQueen, I'm going to say strategic communication. Whatever it is. Communication strategy. Patty McQueen Industries. Yeah, it, oh, my God. You got it. Communication strategy. Yeah. 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 Uh, I should just I need a mnemonic device for it. Um, if it like, if, well, I'll come up with one. Anyway, communication Patty strategies. Patty McQueen works. The, um, that's, a good, that's a good one. Uh, you know, it needs to rhyme with something or, you know, it's almost, no, I'll come uh, up with it. Yeah. One. Anyway, <laughs> wrong time to be dealing with that. So it's the nose, and we invite your participation today as we go along here. I'll give out the phone number. I won't give it out now because you don't know what you'll be calling up about yet. But I predict, based on some of my social media experiences, that there will be people calling up. Um, we're going to start out, and this, is, this one I'll have to, I have to do a quick framing of it. Okay, so... Um, last week, I went to see Freud's last session at Theater Works, which is basically one 90-minute conversation between someone who doesn't believe in God, Sigmund Freud, and somebody who does, C.S. Lewis. Um, and out in the parking lot, people were kind of – well, actually, we all got our cars towed. We wound up at the towing place talking to the other members of the audience. And, um, and you know, it was, it was interesting to me how many people really did sort of absolutely subscribe to Sigmund Freud's position and, and that that is the modern position. And people were talking about the last time when Christopher Hitchens was at the Connecticut Forum and how easy it was for him to – even though he was drunk on stage and drinking, actively drinking on stage, he was still easily able to best anybody who believed in anything – um, and it just got me thinking a little bit. And then no sooner do I start thinking about that, but there's the New New Yorker arrives and there's an essay by Adam Gopnik. And it begins with this whole question of, you know, uh, it, it, it's an essay about, uh, it's called Bigger Than Phil. When did faith start to fade? It's actually the review of two books about atheism uh, by uh, atheists. And, and it, he sort of starts with this premise anyway that, that at some point the scales tipped and uh, the atheistic view won the day. But there are still these other people around, and he divides us up between supernaturalists, who are the people who, who really believe that there isn't 
Uh, not everything can be explained by a completely materialist, rationalist thing, point of view that there's there's more somehow. Uh, and, and he goes, this is a really long essay, so he has quite a bit of time to develop these ideas. And then self-makers who basically believe that um, – that everything that is, is there, that's there, is stuff that we can comprehend without resort to any kind of outside power or anything like that. I don't know if I'm describing that perfectly, but um, but the other thing that he talks about, he says, only in the past twenty years or so did a tone, uh, frankly contemptuous, of faith emerge. Centered on the evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins, the new atheists were polemicists, and like all polemics, theirs were designed not to persuade, but to stiffen the spines of their supporters and ir- irritate the stomach linings of their enemies. Instead of being mushy and marginalized, atheism could proclaim its creed. Why did the nonbelievers suddenly want stiffer spines and clearer signals? Why, if the no's, the people who, the people who say no to the existence of God, if the no's indeed had it, did they suddenly need to be so loud? And there's a lot of this. You know, if you miss Sam Harris's last appearance in Connecticut, just wait a few weeks. Richard Dawkins literally is speaking at UConn by invitation of the president uh, in, in April. There, there are these itinerant preachers, except they're not preaching about God. They're preaching about a- atheism. So, um, so as we were emailing about, uh, around about this, Irene Papoulis, you surprised me in the early going by identifying yourself as a supernaturalist, even though you live within the walls uh, of the academy where that kind of thing is supposedly, anyway, not the least bit fashionable. Yes, but um, am I, I outing I, you? <laughs> yeah, you're outing me. Um, and um, I don't know if it's it, it might not be fashionable, but it might be more pervasive than we think. And it's such a it's it's so it's such a nebula, nebulous thing. Well, I mean, I don't know. I was going to say it's a nebulous thing to define, but maybe it isn't. You know, maybe either you believe in uh, you know science. Um, or you don't. I mean, I completely believe in science, uh, but I just think that, and and so do a lot of people, including a lot of scientists, think that scientist it, science is potentially limited in its view of the world. Right? I mean, you know, I, I always think of that book Flatland. Remember that book that we had to read in high school about the two, the, you know, in a two-dimensional world, everybody's either a line or a square, or the circles were the ones that had the most, you know, that the, they were the most consider the best, the circles, and then this sphere comes in, and it's sitting in the world. And I it didn't says, have to read this book in school. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> oh, it's such a great story. Okay, so it's a two-dimensional world, right? It's Flatland. It was written, you know, sometime in the Is early 20th century. Magellan? Post Magellan. But it's supposed to be about science, actually, because a sphere comes into the world and says, you know, well, there's this other thing, you know, there's this other dimension that I want to tell you about. And they put this and they say, what are you talking about? You're wrong. They put the sphere in jail, you know, even though it's a circle and the circles are the best people. At least this is what I remember from high school. They put the sphere in jail. And it's supposed to be an allegory about the way people don't really look at scientific. you know, innovations in science uh, critically enough, or they're, they're, so, they're too quick to, to criticize them. So what I don't understand, having been mar- uh, married to a scientist uh, for many years, um, I don't understand why scientists can't say, well, you know, we might have another sense that we don't know. You know, there might be another kind of perception beyond our five senses because we, we might be limited just in our, you know, like if somebody couldn't see and then you tried to describe sight to them, it would be really hard to convince them what exactly it was and how exactly it existed. How are we so sure that our five senses limit, um, y- you know, are the limits of the, our understanding of the universe? That's what I always say to scientists, and I've never really gotten a very satisfying answer. 
Well, we, we may try to give you one as we go along here, but just to sort of set the stage a little bit more. So Jacques, um, you work at the Mark Twain house. Mark mm-hmm. Twain was the precursor to the guys that Gopnik is talking about, right? I mean, the guys mm-hmm. that Gopnik is talking about right now are the guys who really sort of come in and, in, in the case of Hitchens, really mock religion yeah. and insult religion. And Dawkins, to a certain degree, too. Sam Harris does stuff like, I mean, almost almost carnival stunts. He's got a thing now where he's offering $10,000 to anybody who can write a 1,000-word essay that changes his mind uh, about atheism, which seems less like the work of an intellectual, maybe a little bit more the work of um, an entertainer and stuntman <laughs> like Twain. And it's something you got you have to think about in terms of programming the Twain house, too. Yeah, I mean, we, um, last year alone, I think we presented three or four authors uh, who whose uh, books are very specifically about atheism. Um, and one, the first one we presented in the year it actually really kind of dovetails nicely, but uh, with the with this overall conversation. But we at the end of the year, and, and you were there for this, we we brought in Penn Gillette, mm-hmm. um, who is uh, is is atheist, but he, at least he seems to be open to conversation with people of of belief. Um, whereas you look at someone like Bill Maher, uh, you know, in his movie Religious, where it, there's a, certainly kind of a mocking tone to the exploration of religion by an atheist. Um, but at the beginning of the year, we presented a, a really great young guy um, named Chris Stedman, who is the uh, associate humanist chapel uh, chaplain at Harvard. And I, I think it's kind of funny. He's, he's an atheist, and I think it's funny that atheists would need a chaplain. Mm. Uh, but he wrote a book called Faithiest, and it is about trying to bridge the hostile divide between atheists and people of faith and being able to have conversations that don't descend into this kind of mocking uh, standpoint. Um, you know, they feel like the Christians feel like you can't speak or religious folks feel like you can't talk to an atheist because they're so hostile. And and uh, the converse is that, you know, atheists feel like they're looking down at, at people who have faith-based beliefs. So um, I would definitely uh, recommend that you check out Chris Stedman's book. But Twain... It's interesting because he, you know, uh, he spoke a lot about religion, um, but the atheists claim him as their own. He never applies that term to himself, and there are certainly things that he wrote that indicate that he had, you know, some basic belief in a higher power, but at the same time rejected how most religions interpret that or how most religions come across as uh, hypocritical. Um, so Twain's kind of a fascinating person in that he'll— um, you know, I'll put something, you know, you know, a religious quote or, you know, him commenting on religion on Facebook and people go bananas. You know, Patty McQueen, <clears throat> one of the things that happens when this conversation starts is that some people are thinking about faith and some people are thinking about either the religion that they're brought up in uh, or the religion that they object to right now that's trying to introduce prayer in the schools or creationism into the textbooks. Um, and, and, and so I think it's one thing to reject that religion and another thing to reject everything as comprehensively as some of these um, really sort of these itinerant preaching and book writing atheists do. I don't know. First of all, you were sort of uh, sharing that your own Catholic upbringing may have warped you a little bit in this regard. Well, I do, you know, I do remember being in catechism, uh, uh, growing up Catholic and being in catechism and listening to, you know, all about how Catholics were the best religion and and really really wondering um, how we could really be better than, than my little friends that I went to kindergarten with who went to a different church. And there was, I remember asking the question probably of my mother and 
And I'm not sure there was a great answer just because she didn't have one, not because, you know, just because there isn't a good answer. The answer is we just are. Right. Well, exactly. We are better. I don't think she said that. But (laughs) but, you know, I find this whole discussion kind of mind numbing because it's so polarizing. I mean, you're either the and and it seems to me that there's a, a middle ground that's pretty reasonable. You know, I don't know that I describe myself as an atheist, but I'm certainly not following a specific religion. And I believe this whole creationism argument is crazy when we should be teaching kids about, you know, how about uh, the, the scientific backed stuff. So I, I, that, you know, I come down on different sides of this, but, but I also find myself looking at these essays and honestly I just my mind I just zone out after two paragraphs she didn't want to and I could it. take a nap <laughs> she did, I, I said, want Christopher might, Hitchens back it might be Adam Gopnik that's doing that to you but let me just impress you on this a little bit because no, I, I doubt that did it too oh, okay the um, the you know really what's happening here is that one of the things that Gopnik kind of chronicles is that atheists are now doing the thing that you just described too they're basically saying we're better than you um, we're better than you. We're smarter than you. Um, you're wrong. You're wrong about everything. And you're part of something that's basically backwards and has been holding the world back. And and I, you know, I, I encountered this rather sharply and abruptly when I came here to to WNPR. Not that everybody who listens to public radio is an atheist, but. I encountered for the first time in my life in the media a really large group of very vocal atheists who do take that position. And I remember distinctly uh, having a one-hour interview pretty early on in the time of the show with Peter Rosazzi. He's a bishop, he's a bishop emeritus, I guess, of the Roman Catholic Church, um, who's a very smart, interesting guy um, who I just find fascinating to talk to. And I went back to my computer when the interview was over, and I had a whole bunch of emails from saying, saying, why are you putting that rank superstition on the air? Why are you giving a platform to something that's m- nothing more than, than fear and superstition and magical thinking and like all this stuff? And I'd been on WTIC, a conservative station, for 16 years where if you said anything bad about religion, you got that kind of email <laughs> from all the religious people who were listening. I, I was astonished to find this very radicalized group uh, of atheists who, who didn't mind mouthing off to me. But what would be your response if somebody brought up Catholic? I mean, do you think I'm wrong to, to give a Catholic bishop a, a platform for a 50-minute conversation? No. I, look, at I think, you know, th- there's something about growing up Catholic that gives you this, this respect for the— um, the the what's the word I want for it? There's just there's something hierarchy? about the, the hi- it's not no it's not the hierarchy it's the it's the routine it's the it's the um, ritual you know, like uh, the ritual of it like yeah. I can go to mass now and there's something very comfortable about it for me and I can uh, you know but I don't go I go you know every couple of years so I can respect it for the spectacle I can respect that there are people in there that have a brain that can talk about it. I don't have to agree with them. But do you so, think it's wrong of them to tell children that they're the chosen one or something oh, like that? Or do yeah, you? I do. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying we should all agree with whatever it is that they're saying. I'm saying that I think that they, there's, you know, you can listen to it. You can, you, you know. I mean, almost every religion purports to be, you know, the true path, mm-hmm. um, except for like Unitarianism, which isn't really yeah, a religion as much as a philosophy. <laughs> Um, and so actually when I 
um, stopped going to the Catholic Church. Uh, I took a period of time and then started going to the Unitarian Society just because I thought, you know, they're, they're um, covenant to try and sort of understand each other's faith and you can actually be an atheist and be a Unitarian. Um, I don't know if uh, maybe I'm endorsing Unitarianism or something, but uh, just that that willingness to dialogue and learn from each other's traditions was what I found most enjoyable about about my time going to the Unitarian Society. Um, we're going to grab a quick break here. We have to do things a little bit differently because it's a fundraising day. We're going to come right back, though. There's not going to be fundraising right now. We'll come right back. Continue this conversation. As crazy humans wrote it, you should take. People that you made in your image still believe in that junk is true. Well, I know it ain't, and so do you, dear God. All right, we're back. This is The Nose. Irene Papoulis, Jacques Lamar, Patty McQueen, all with us. We're using as our springboard this essay by Adam Gopnik in The New Yorker, Bigger Than Phil, When Did Faith Start to Fade? Uh, but it's it's a sort of larger and more sprawling conversation than that. Um, although one of the interesting points that he makes, one of the arguments he makes towards the end is sort of an argument most of you are making right now, which is that there's more convergence than anybody wants to admit. Now, some of the things Gopnik says, I think, are, are you have to sort of take them on faith. I mean, one of the things he says basically is that, that people who are supernaturalist, as he calls them, are increasingly less inclined to believe in what does he call it, uh, a, uh, a, uh, the kind of the old-fashioned God, an omnipotent man in the sky making moral rules and watching human actions with paranoiac intensity, um, that instead they, they believe in a higher entity, a ground of being, an idea of order, uh, something along those lines, um, and that they're moving a little bit closer towards the, these uh, hyper-rational um, self-makers. And, and that the self-makers aren't, and I think this was the more interesting point to me, he said the self-makers, there really aren't that many really purely, perfectly rational people. He claims that having lived in hotbeds of secularism all his life, he's only met two purely rational people, you know, and, and that everybody else is, is operating on something else. And it's kind of why we, I did the um, – uh, we had the intro about the giraffe. So in Denmark, uh, they've already – they've got these giraffes in zoos and the giraffes are not – they're genetically superfluous, which is to say that they're, they're not good for breeding because there's too many other giraffes already like them. And so their reaction to the first giraffe was to kill it and feed it to the lions at the zoo. And this didn't go over that well with the world. Um, and so now there's another giraffe who's kind of up for the same fate. And there are all kinds of other people coming forward with plans for the giraffe. Please don't kill the giraffe. Um, and I think most people are kind of reacting, well, please, there must be something better to do with a giraffe than, <laughs> than kill it and feed it to the lions. Um, but, you know, from a purely rational point of view, it, I mean, if, in fact, you have an objection to it, it's probably not a rational objection because you feed the lions meat all the time. The meat comes from somewhere, right? So um, I think part of it was that the public – uh, dismemberment of the giraffe. There was that uh, yes. in front of children. <laughs> so it was it was you know what they called an educational opportunity, but you know it was like an episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> and so different. Well, I couldn't believe it was in Denmark. I mean that that's that's we not expect what we better think about. of you, Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other part of it is that it that you know I I think we also expect that if a zoo uh, brings animals in and then breeds them and raises them that they're going to do something better than put a bullet in their brain and dismember them in front of small children. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, I think I think it's not irrational to think that you might shoot something in the wild 
and and capture it for meat or mm -hmm. raise it for meat and slaughter it for meat. But when you're raising it to make little kids happy, to dismember it in front of them somehow mm -hmm. seems incongruous yeah. to me. And there's also morality. I mean, you know, what exactly does rational mean? Um, mm -hmm. If it, it, you know, it might be rational to say, oh, we have too many people. Let's just kill some of them. You know that. You, you know you could make a. You know you could say that's rational, but it, it's it's completely immoral and wrong, right? So, being rational doesn't mean that. I mean, being a, a you know an, a radical atheist doesn't mean that you don't believe in morality. Oh, absolutely, and that's one of the things the atheists say. I don't need God to be good. I can mm. be good without God. But it seems to me, in looking at this thing, I mean, you've got a giraffe, you've got lions. The lions eat meat, you know, all the time. You get the meat from somewhere. Um, you know, and somewhere there's an animal getting stunned in the head with the exact same tool they're going to use on the giraffe. Well, but it's probably <laughs> not. It's probably not the 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 piece of meat, the, you know, the fuzzy little thing down the way that the kids have been looking at. So we've decided to ascribe a higher value to that fuzzy little thing because kids look at it. Does that make it a better animal? Yes. Yeah. Well, so. We we um we had Ingrid Newkirk the the co-founder and president of PETA at the museum um this this past week so between the Sochi dogs and Joe Namath's fur and and uh the giraffe the Danish giraffe uh you know we had a lot to to cover in our conversation with her and she you know you know identifies openly as an atheist uh and her take on you know the situation is is basically like who are you to decide that that elephant or that that giraffe you know, uh, needed to go, and mm -hmm. uh, you know the whether or not it's a giraffe or a worm or you know a housefly or what have you. That you know it's a living thing, and you know you you engineered it, you bred it, what have you, and now you know you're playing God and basically you know or non God because she's an atheist. Uh, <laughs> you know who who basically uh, determines the value of that life that you would terminate it just based on the fact that you don't. You know, they could have rehomed it. They could have set it free, uh, you know, but instead they they chose to kill it and cut it up as a but, spectacle. But that's consistent with her position as someone who would never eat meat too, right? Whereas Yeah, but I mean it all comes down to the the in her and her beliefs. I'm not necessarily saying these are my beliefs, but um, I think in theory anyone, you know, you respect the lives of other creatures. And so you wouldn't necessarily buy a dog – after two years, decide it's time to put a bullet in that dog's head and then, you know, carve it up in front of the neighbors and feed it to your cat. <laughs> exactly. You know? See, that's my point. That's my point. Yeah. And so there is, you know, but, we but assign is, values. Is that more wrong than, yeah. than eating bacon? Yeah, well, I mean, you would, it, get, you, you would get arrested right. for doing that to your dog hmm. where, you know, if you're a zoo and you're doing it to your giraffe. So there is a, you know, there is a weird kind of morality at play. Ingrid Newkirk mm -hmm. would say... First of all, we will have Ingrid on, thanks to Jacques, we have Ingrid on, a full-length interview with Ingrid on Thursday of next week. She's a fascinating person to talk to. I really enjoyed her a lot. But she would sort of argue, I think, against what you're saying, Patty, which is the, you know, the notion that things done out of sight to animals are somehow or other better than things done in plain view. Well, um, I'm not saying – not so much out of sight, mm -hmm. is, that, is that I think that – you have an obligation, you know. Zoo people who run zoos ha take on as their uh, as as their mission to care for these animals under X circumstances, and and they they bred this giraffe, they raised this giraffe. They didn't raise him to provide meat. Mm -hmm. They raised him to be cute for kids. 
So uh, it's not it's not so much that it happens, uh, you know, in front of people or or not. It's that that's not what the purpose of this giraffe was. But if someone did raise a giraffe for me, it would be okay. Yeah, if you are unfortunate, I, you, you know, somewhere like, in the world, somebody probably does. Yeah, yeah. is that, right? is that okay? And things in a eat way? things. Does, does yeah, gi- it is kind of so okay. So that giraffe has a different Listen, moral. Listen, my and cats go outside and they kill birds yeah. and eat them, and I don't get upset about it. And I probably should. And somebody's going to be upset with me for it. We they did kill a whole all show about that. Things. That's terrible. You shouldn't let your I, cats kill birds. <laughs> well, they kill lots of things. So, but that's what you know. Some of that is like, like you know, life. I See, I would argue that what's really happening here, just to sort of track it back and see if I can tie it all together, is that the supernaturalist in a lot of people comes out in these situations. And in fact, we do, we do believe in, in a kind of sanctity of life. We do, believe, we do believe it's better if most of us, I think, do believe it, it's better if this giraffe doesn't get killed. Uh, if this giraffe gets sent to a private zoo in uh, Chechnya or Jack Hanna, <laughs> figures out uh, how to, to take it to a Columbus, Ohio game preserve. These are all plans for the, the second giraffe, the first giraffe. Nothing we can do for that. How giraffe. do they get a giraffe on a plane? I it's, guess they wouldn't put they put it on a boat. All right, on a of boat. course. Yeah. Yeah. On a slow <laughs> boat. They could, <laughs> no, they could knock it out. <laughs> if the giraffe buys oh, this. Buys put it this, on a plane. Yeah. If the giraffe gets this, you get those seats with Hold extra leg room <laughs> these days. You know, if you, some airlines have the extra leg room, you can do that for the giraffe maybe. But, a little uh, extra neck room. But that somehow or other, we're subscribing to something, you know, and we're subscribing to something that we don't really live out day to day. If we're eating hamburgers, if we're and then we participate in a system that we don't really believe in. But at these moments, we're sort of saying, wow, there is there's some kind of morality that I'm that I'm aware of that I'm, I'm also seeing transgressed in this moment. Well, You're going to have the last word because we have well, to go. Well, but more importantly, so here, we, you know, we're talking about whether or not giraffe is worse than eating hamburger or mm-hmm. bacon or whatever. Juxtapose this to here's the story. There's worldwide outrage about this giraffe. There's some kid in Florida that gets shot by the guy in the car next to him because his music's too loud. And there are people who actually think he had it coming. So I think we got all upset about animals and not so much about people. There's that too. All right, we have to wrap up this conversation. We're going to move on. We're going to have a little bit of fundraising, then we'll be back. I'm the ultimate skeptic. I deny the existence of God and Richard Dawkins. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Our interns are Jane Ashley and Skylar Magnoli. Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Matt Lauer. For stories, show pages, and photos of the Faith Middleton Show staff preparing giraffe a l'orange, visit our website, WNPR.org. On Monday, a show about three Connecticut spies. And now... Back to Colin. Yes, we're back with the news, and we're going to switch gears here. We're going to talk a little bit about, well, I think one thing that happens all the time, and I think it happens more and more, is when we we look at sports, we we find our own values kind of clashing up against sports or being fabulously affirmed by sports. And and obviously we're in the middle of the Olympics right now, but also today uh, the first uh, sort of internal report came out uh, on the Miami Dolphins situation. This is the one where the uh, player dropped off the team because he was being bullied. The things that are in the report are horrible. They're like a million times worse than what we had even supposed and they don't confine themselves to the interactions of Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin. It's just terrible stuff. I won't even bother to recite it right now, but it's it's racist, it's sexist, it's violent, it's horrible. Uh, and it makes you sort of wonder about the NFL. And you wonder about the NFL for lots of other reasons too. And watching some of the uh, reactions when, um, when 
Uh, Michael Sam came out as a gay player this week. Uh, made me wonder as well. We, we may get into that in this conversation. But I also s- often see good things, things that are things that make you feel really great. So today, and I, I hope this doesn't really spoil. I don't think you know, this won't really spoil anything. I don't think anyway, unless you're really, really, really obsessed with the 15k um, um, cross country skiing classic at, at the Olympics. So there's this Peruvian uh, skier out there, and he's got a broken rib, and he's decided to compete anyway, and he finishes incredibly late. The whole race takes about 40 minutes for most of the uh, for the most of the skiers. He's out there for an extra 10 minutes with nobody else out on the course. That's how slow that he he is. And about 30 minutes after winning the race, the the winner, I won't say his name just in case you are planning to watch the thing tonight, you don't want it spoiled. But the person who won the race um, went back to the finish line and greeted this guy and hugged him as he came across the line. So 30 minutes after he's won a gold medal, he's still waiting around for this guy so that he can hug him and congratulate him. That's sort of one of the reasons that you like sports, you know, if you like sports, because occasionally it delivers these kinds of things that make you feel like your values are being affirmed. So, Irene Papoulos, I, I know that you've been watching the Olympics kind of off and on here. I don't know. What have you gotten out of them so far? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, I think it's interesting to think about what it, what exactly it is why I love them so much, um, in spite of what I might know about any political thing or whatever. There's something about the spirit of um, striving and wanting to do well and pushing and supporting your team and all that 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 in a way contradicts with a lot of my attitudes about a lot of other things. So I, (laughs) you know. (laughs) You enjoy things that contradict your attitudes. Yeah, so that's part of why I enjoy it. But, you know, like I I, I love downhill skiing. And part of it is just loving the physical, you know, just looking at the body doing all these amazing things, like the the downhill skiing or the the skateboarding, that new thing. You know, just the beautiful – Relaxation, snowboarding. Snowboarding. Let's sorry, <laughs> sorry. it's not that different from skateboarding, except they do it's somersaults not. in the it air. Looks the same. You know, but just there's something actually. I think for me is about the the body in space and the gracefulness of all of them that I just absolutely love watching. And so, of course, the figure skating goes with that too. Um, and the you know the, the the drama of whether you can do a triple axle or a double axle or oh no he only did a double axle instead of a, a quadruple I'm less interested in than I just am, am in watching it watching and what they're wearing and you, you know how the how the teams of ice dancers interact with each other and things like that. Uh, by the way, we probably we could probably squeeze in a phone call here or two specifically or especially because Jacques is talking about sports. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. So Patty McQueen, you're looking for class, you're looking for elegance, you're looking for values, but you're not watching the Olympics because of their politics. On the other hand, you've been attracted to the idea of Derek Jeter. That's an opening. You can either talk about not watching the Olympics. You, you, well, you, you can either talk about not watching the Olympics or you can talk about Derek Jeter well, or you I can do both. So, I, so let, let me see, to try to do both. I'm not watching the Olympics because I, it, just, it just seems to me that we shouldn't be there. I think that, that the politics uh, going on in Russia and the stuff with Putin and, and their policies about uh, uh, LGBT uh, policies are appalling and, and we shouldn't be there. And, and I feel like I'm endorsing it if I'm watching it. So sort of doing my best to ignore it, even though there's... I mean, I would love to watch the skating. I actually do like it. Um, but but the, the Jeter thing sort of struck me because I, I, in seeing the stories about him this week, about his, his, or his announcement that he would retire, is that with so many... I mean, uh, professional sports has been um, so dominated by awful stories and scandal and, 
you know, whether it's football stuff or, or the steroids with baseball players, whatever it is, that it's, that it's really kind of remarkable that Jeter has gone this many years without a huge scandal, that he's sort of retiring with a lot of class. And, and you know, he's not perfect, whatever, but I, but I'm, I think it's kind of remarkable. And I'm not even a huge – I used to be a bigger baseball fan than, than any other sport, but, but it's not like I watch it all the time. Well, but I just classy? think it's remarkable. What's classy about the way he's retiring? I think the fact that that um, do we, you know this, the, the, that he's announced that he's not going out um, on a on a down that he's made a decision that he's going to do this at a time in his life when he's going to walk off the field as a you know winner or whatever he's going to walk off the field with his head held high mm. that he's not he just hasn't been part of all the rest of this stuff. And I, I mean, look at—I'm not saying he's, you know, to go back to a previous conversation, godlike. I'm simply <laughs> saying, it just struck me that that it was kind of sad. It made me feel old because I remember when he was really young and cute. And well, and there, there are some people who still think he's cute. Um, and let me just sort of inject into this a, a little bit of context, which is that um, the previous year, last year, his teammate Mariano Rivera also retired, and he did this thing as I said at the beginning of the show, that they seem to do. He announced at the beginning of the year that he was going to do this. And as he went around from stadium to stadium, often really quite touching things, these teams, these teams that Mariano Rivera had mercilessly <laughs> abused with his tremendous relief pitching, held these, these unbelievably affectionate and even kind of worshipful ceremonies for him. Uh, and they gave him gifts and, and they just showered him with praise. And I mean, everybody sort of acknowledges the guy is as good at what he did uh, as anybody in the history of the game has ever been, uh, probably the best ever. Uh, I'm a Red Sox fan. I have no reason to like Mariano Rivera, but I teared up a couple of times watching these things. Now, as distinct from Jeter, I mean, they are distinct people. Mariano Rivera is also about as devout a Christian athlete as has ever played in professional baseball. I mean, that's what he's going to spend the rest of his life doing, uh, from what I understand, is being sort of a Christian missionary and pursuing various Christian causes. Jeter's a guy whose personal life is constantly being speculated about. People are always nosing around in it. Uh, there have been persistent rumors that he's gay, and none of them ever even remotely confirmed, but, but it's always sort of out there. There are also these incredible rumors. There's one in New York Magazine today about how he, he has all these one-night stands <laughs> with women, and when the car is there to take them home, there's an actual gift basket with Derek <laughs> Jeter memorabilia <laughs> waiting for them in the in, in the. Uh, uh, sort of livery you know, that car. alone I, makes it worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a lovely gesture. I like that. Yeah, I mean, how many times when you're doing the walk of shame do you actually get a ride and a party exactly. gift? A thanks for playing. <laughs> but I, I want to just go back to, you know, I am watching the Olympics, and, and I mean, I'm appalled by Russia's uh, record on, on LGBT and a bunch of other human rights issues, but I'm appalled by a lot of things, and I, but I don't agree with holding athletes responsible for them. For example, um, during the Bush administration and continuing on into the Obama administration, I think our human rights record is terrible. We hold people in prisons without charging them. You know, we have, we have ruined people's lives and we've tortured people. Our administration have tortured people. Now, I would no more think of holding a U.S. skater or gymnast responsible for that than I would anybody who's at Sochi right now. And I understand Sochi is, you know, an opportunity for Vladimir Putin to sort of present himself as a better person than he really is. But it's mainly about the athletes. Except this is about money. This is all about money. We're there because because there were decisions made. You know, NBC needed to be there. 
There's lots of television coverage. We spent a lot of money, and so now we have to go. I, look, I feel bad for the athletes. I think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to punish them individually. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is we've got all these, particularly some of the skaters, we've got all these athletes over there, some of whom are gay, who if they say who they are and who they love, then they could get arrested or worse. So I, th- I have a problem with that. Yeah, I agree. I have a problem with it too, but I have a problem with a lot of, as I say, I have a lot of pro- problem well, with a lot of. I just don't think that would happen. I mean, I look at I, I'm not going to defend the United States on some of this stuff, but it wouldn't happen here that way. No, but it, we've done other things. We have tortured people um, recently, and we ha- we are still running Guantanamo. We're holding prisoners without charges. You know, we are we grabbed people who are civilians who are absolutely innocent held them in Guantanamo for years, you know, in complete violations of everything we believe in and complete overturning of our own constitution. I'm appalled by that. But to me, it has nothing to do with the Olympics. And if the Olympics were being held in the U.S., I wouldn't expect people to be Well, if they were being held in Guantanamo, I probably wouldn't watch them (laughs) either. This is why I don't watch any sports. (laughs) 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 Well, and the fact that, like, uh, you know, as Colin's mentioning, you know, when there's, like, this nice gesture that we're surprised when good sportsmanship rears its head as opposed to like mercenary, you know, uh, approach to sports and total annihilation of your of your opponent kind of thing. It's it's getting back to what one would hope sports would be. We have to do our endorsements. Uh, we're on a different clock right now. We've got some fundraising at the end. So these are endorsements where our panel tells you about things that you might enjoy that they know about. Irene, what have you got? I have t- uh, two. Actually, the book Flatland I could endorse. <laughs> but um, We're all going to read Flatland. There's no question <laughs> yeah. about that. Um, uh, El Serape Restaurant on Broad Street in mm. Hartford. It's near Trinity. It's a Mexican restaurant. It's... Um, it's not, you know, uh, an elegant atmosphere at all, but it's and it, but it reminds me of the kind of of the Mexican restaurants that I used to go to in California. I mean, it's delicious, absolutely delicious, and I highly recommend it. Um, and also, I've been watching, you know, in a way, in a way connected with our conversation about sports. I've been watching the movie Mitt on Netflix, which is about Mitt Romney, and it's kind of and finding it. I'm all, I'm only halfway through it, but I find it completely fascinating. Is it a not documentary? It's a documentary. It's, yeah. a, okay. it's like they're live. Have you seen it yet? It's like they're live. It's like there's a camera with him and his family, and you get to see his sons, you get to see their their wives and their kids, and the it's like watching someone's home movie in a way, except it's very well done uh, to the point that you feel like they don't necessarily not necessarily acting for the camera. It's reality TV. It's reality TV. It's it's fascinating. We're going to have to speed along here. Jacques Lamar, what have you got? Uh, I want to endorse. uh, watching The Godfather, I've been watch- I started watching The Godfather last night and got halfway through Godfather two, and it's just so amazing. So I know that uh, you know who hasn't seen it, but it's worth revisiting because it's just such a well done uh, series of films until you get to the third one. Uh, and also, I just read a book that I really really enjoyed, although the topic is depressing. Um, it's called Detroit: An American Autopsy. And it's by Charlie Leduff, I think is his name. Uh, oh, he's yeah. a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Um, and he it talks about him going back to Detroit after being um, in New York and California for a number of years and, and um, you know, the the mire that the city has become. And it's it's just really a powerful, uh, powerful read. And a quick um, uh, encouraging people to look into the big book getaway that we're doing at Mohegan Sun. This is a plug, not an endorsement, but uh, at if you visit thebigbookclub.org, you'll see over 80 authors over the course of a night and a day at the Mark, at, and it benefits the Mark Twain. That's next weekend. 
That's next weekend, the 21st and 22nd at Mohegan Sun, thebigbookclub.org. All right, Patty McQueen. All right, and I have two food-oriented Valentine's Day-themed endorsements. One is I have recently rediscovered Munson's chocolate. I'd sort of forgotten how good it is, um, particularly the um, German chocolate fudge. (laughs) And I don't know why. I've spent way too much money at Munson's lately. Uh, The other is um, the Food Network magazine has a bacon issue out. With like eight million recipes <laughs> for oh, bacon, the poor little pigs. including, including gi- exactly giraffe, giraffe, giraffe bacon. Giraffe bacon. <laughs> giraffe giraffe bacon is the best. So, <laughs> yes, the giraffe bacon is the best. But and it's got it's got multiple recipes for candied bacon, which is my personal favorite. So, all right, I'm going to endorse uh, first of all the performances of Kenneth Tigar or Tigar and Jonathan Crombie uh, at Theater Works here in Hartford. There's one more weekend to go, I think, or it runs through through maybe next weekend uh, in Freud's last session. I'm, I have some issues with the script. I have some issues with the play itself, but they are so good. They are both amazing as Freud and as C.S. Lewis that you have to go see it just for them. I'm also going to uh, endorse uh, in the same issue of The New Yorker that we just were discussing, uh, Roger Angel's article about being 93. He's 93 years old. He's in full possession of his faculty. It's a very, very honest, fascinating um, essay about just what it is to reach that age. Uh, it's a, a lot of it's about sex, interestingly enough, uh, and some very interesting advice from Walter Cronkite. Uh, apparently, well, you'll just have to read it. There's no way that I can quote it on the air. <laughs> All right. So thanks very much to Patty McQueen, Jacques Lamar, and Irene Papoulis. We'll be back on Monday with our show about spies. Derek Jeter, it's me, Kion Wolf. Um, if you want to tell me anything about your sexuality... So I have been lying to you for quite some time. Okay. I am all ears. You know what? I, I, I do have the bar. I held it. feels like all the rest of them. Whoa, 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 Derek. You could just say I date dudes sometimes. You don't need to tell me everything. Okay? <laughs>